I'm Mel. And I'm Tash. And welcome to another episode of Mahogany Momology, an online dialogue pertaining to the concerns and carefree parenting of Black motherhood. And now, on to our show. All right. A little self-care is warranted during this time for our Black mothers nationwide. Not self-care in terms of deflecting your feelings and concerns, or maybe that might be true for the moment as well, but maybe a sense of reflection of who you are and how to move forward, maybe how to prioritize your time for thoughtful conversation and positive mobilization, or maybe reflect on your personality as a Black mother and the tribe you wish to exist in. So we'll be discussing that and some more um, with our guest mammologist, Miss Muffy Mendoza. Welcome. 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 Thank you guys so much for having me. Our ladies, thank you ladies so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Well, Muffy Mendoza is a tribe builder, informational and motivational speaker, author and executive director at Brown Mamas, a Pittsburgh-based, uh, fiscally-sponsored nonprofit that works to provide moms of color with positive socialization opportunities and connects them with the resources and information they need to raise happy, healthy adults. Most notably, Muffy is known for having cultivated a community of nearly, check this out, y'all, 5,000 African-American moms, hunger, hungry, excuse me, hungry for social change due to the lack of safe spaces for moms of color in the Pittsburgh region. Muffy has leveraged this platform to author her first book, The Brown Mama's Mindset, which we'll talk about in this show. It was featured in the 2018 Essence Festival and is currently sold at various cities across the U.S. Muffy stays focused on tribe building at home as a homeschooling mom of three boys and wife of one awesome husband. She's a low key and Muffy loves to uh, read history books and watch boring documentaries. Well, they, they're not boring. You know, they got some good information. They're boring. At least that's how her. <laughs> well, that's what your boy say. <laughs> but we welcome you to our show. <laughs> Thank you for that, for reading my bio and told everybody what I do. But really, I'm just a mom like everybody else. And like every black mom out there, I just believe in other black women deeply. Oh, we <laughs> love it. An accomplished one, so we're all about not downplaying our strengths. So, you're right, you're right, sir. <laughs> well, before we had um, kind of it was off air, we were about to get into the discussion of the state of affairs with what we're in with post COVID slash um, continuous racial uh, police brutality and protesting. Um, and Tosh, I think you were about to ask ask a, a particular question of Muffy. Right. So like we were discussing, Muffy, you're from Pittsburgh. And I was explaining that I knew, pe- you know, someone who went to Pittsburgh for schooling, had had them a time and like left. I mean, I think any uh, black person who probably went to higher education and maybe they were a token or something like that just had that. Well, I don't want to generalize. Um, I would say personally speaking, personally speaking, had a moment where I was just like, uh-uh, I got to go. Deuces at the yeah. moment. Um, 
I, I could leave. But what we were discussing basically was the gap in education, right? Because we were discussing engineering mm-hmm. and, and the internship. You want to talk about that? So the first thing I want to say is that Pittsburgh is a city I was raised in. It's the city I was born in. It is the city I love. It's the city I've come back to. I've lived in other places and ultimately landed back in Pittsburgh. So I have a deep, um, I have a deep commitment, dedication, and love for the city of Pittsburgh and the people who reside there, specifically the black people who reside there. But I think that there is a currently the current atmosphere of racial tension in Pittsburgh is very palpable. Um, it's palpable because of recently the Antoine Rose case. I don't know if you guys um, heard about that, where a young black man was shot in the back, uh, running away from police. He was not armed. Uh, he was not uh, He was not a danger to anyone. He was actually exiting an Uber. Um, and he was shot in the back by police. And then that coupled with all of these national things that are happening to black men and black women, Breonna Taylor, um, Sandra Bland, all the women whose names we need to make sure that are continuously mentioned. Um, you know, there's there's racial tension in Pittsburgh because we know that the outcomes in terms of education, in terms of economics, in terms of societal uh, norms are not favoring black women in Pittsburgh. Um, and that is one of the reasons why Brown Mamas came about. Um, we have children who are graduating from high school having never taken algebra. They have children who are graduated from high school basically illiterate. Um, our city has the worst outcomes. I think we're second on the list in terms of worst outcomes for black women mortality rates. Um, and this is something that the city has acknowledged, but in terms of putting policies, procedures, and plans in place that would eradicate these uh, these instances, in a timely fashion, that has not yet happened. And I think the black mothering and black woman community in Pittsburgh is getting fed up. Um, there have been calls to action. There have been letters sent, many of which I've signed on. Um, and there's been very little action by the city. So when someone asks me like, okay, well, what's, what's happening right now in Pittsburgh? I would say that we're pretty much at a standstill. Um, words are being spoken, but actions are not being taken. And, and that is needs to be something that's nationally highlighted is that, you know, there's only so much of an ally you can be um, or can be understood as or perceived as when there's no action to back up your words. And so I think uh, Pittsburgh is a prime example of that, of there being a lot of um, real opportunities for, for growth because Pittsburgh is a very resource rich and heavy um, city, but we need access. We don't just need opportunity. We need the green light. We need for people to put black people, black women in particular, in positions of power so that they, we can be the game changers. And while we've had a few women, um, some really, really courageous, uh, intelligent, motivated women who've been placed in power in some key positions, it has not been, it's not been equitable and it's not been broad enough for us to actually make a difference. And so if you ask me what's happening in Pittsburgh right now, I would say a lot of talk and a little bit of action. Wow. You had mentioned about um, 20% or maybe it was single digits of kids that don't know algebra. So I don't want to give an exact number there, but I know it's a really low number. It's a very low number of children who are, graduating from high school and have never 
done algebra before. Um, every year, the A plus schools, which is a local advocacy, education advocacy and watchdog organization here in Pittsburgh puts out a listing of how all of the schools are doing in terms of their standardized testing, in terms of teacher retention, in terms of how parents are feeling. Um, and that's something that always amazes me is how few African-American children in this predominantly African-American school district in Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which has the high, well, Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh public school system has a higher, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, budget than the entire city of Pittsburgh. And despite that, they cannot seem to educate black children. And it is, it's getting to the point in Pittsburgh where we have, it's, replicating generational curses because we literally have black children graduating in Pittsburgh that are not even capable of uplifting the very communities that they come from. Um, so it's, it's perpetuating not only generational curses, but it's almost main, it's mainstaying them in a way that I think people are starting to awaken to and realize, which is why I homeschool my kids, which is why there is a growing homeschool movement in the Pittsburgh region. I, when I started homeschooling my kids five years ago, um, it was I didn't know any other black homeschoolers. And I later found out there was one lady that was homeschooling that lived in the back of me that had been doing it all of her children's lives. But when mm -hmm. I started homeschooling, because I'm pretty well known in the region, other parents started homeschooling. A lot of them started homeschooling as single parents. This is how desperate they are to get their kids out of the system. Um, so you guys so, doing more of a co-op now that you've learned about one another or is it so we're mainly... We are actually in the process. We just received a small grant from Remake Learning to get some co-ops off of the ground um, because the economic situation here in Pittsburgh, let's, I don't like to say that it's a privilege to homeschool because I know so many single parents that have done it just because they had to, like they absolutely had to. There were no other options. Their kids were either being mentally, their kids were being intellectually stifled. And a lot of times in the classroom, intellectual stifling turns into to behavior problems. And so they had to pull their kids out and that's behaviors that are occurring at school. And then the kids are bringing the behaviors home and then they're starting to be disruptive in their own households. So I don't like to say homeschooling is a privilege because I feel like it's a privilege for white folks. For black folks, it's just another response to white supremacy, right? So um, there is a small groundswell of parents to create, uh, you know, to create co-ops. But again, that goes back to we need systemic support. Because so many of us, including myself, I'm married. I homeschool my kids and I'm married. And it's a financial struggle for us. It is a serious financial struggle for us. Me and my husband have to make a ton of sacrifices and commitments that we wouldn't normally make if we had a school district that was operating in a way that was um, productive for black children. But we are starting to develop some co-ops. It's just going to take time because Pittsburgh is a predominantly white city. Um, yeah. Thank you for that transparency regarding the homeschooling, because it sounds like is is it y'all are acting out of a sense of desperation, and that is not in a negative sense. Y'all want mm -hmm. better, mm -hmm. but y'all are literally well. Some of y'all are literally making the ultimate sacrifice of um, necessity versus you know you know, making sure safety, you know what I mean? And and making sure, you know, they, they have what they need, you know, so 
your financial, you know, you're sacrificing, you know, some financial income for this. So I think that, you know, damn, that's all I have to say. Damn, Pittsburgh. Damn. That's what I have to say. But I was, you know, Pittsburgh is, they call Pittsburgh the city of bridges because there's literally to go out of your neighborhood, you got to cross a bridge. (laughs) Um, And I always like to say that is a great metaphor for understanding how Pittsburgh exists in so many siloed communities. Um, when you can go from a neighborhood like Squirrel Hill, which is the second largest Jewish community in the country, and also one of the richest uh, communities, Jewish communities in the country, and then go eight blocks down and be in Homewood, which is one of the poorest communities in the country, it is, it's not only daunting to see every day, but it, 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 is very, it makes you lose your faith. And so I feel like you know, white Pittsburgh has to do a better job of being more equitable. And I always like to say, you know, in terms of white folks and white supremacy, if you're not willing to put some action behind your, if you're not willing to put some action behind your words, then you're not really an ally. You're more like a, I don't even know what word to give you. You're more like a friend with no benefits. (laughs) You know, that's not an ally. An ally is somebody who is willing to say, you know, all of the property in Pittsburgh is is primarily owned by white folks. And we know that we have low percentages of home ownership in black communities in Pittsburgh, even in black communities, low rates of home ownership. Being an ally saying, I'm going to offer these homes to, you know, the people in my community who are working and who can afford them at a lower rate um, or a lower cost than I would normally at less of market rate. I'm going to take a loss. I'm going to make a sacrifice in order to make this thing more equitable in my in my society. And unfortunately, we don't have white people, at least in Pittsburgh, but I would, I would venture to say, I can say this on a national level, who are willing to make those big of a sacrifice. They're willing to make sacrifice in terms of being a, speaking out against injustice, but they're not willing to make sacrifices in terms of actually doing something about injustice. And I think it has to go beyond policies and lawmaking. It has to go to the root of your very personal life because when black people are living in poverty, when black people are living in injustice, when black people are living um, in states of economic and educational um, hijacking, we are making personal sacrifices every day to be a part of this economy, to be a part of this nation. So if we're going to continue to talk about equity, that lens has to be refocus to be more action driven. What can you do in your personal life every day? Not just your professional life. It doesn't mean getting a job at a nonprofit. It doesn't mean, you know, becoming a part of a lobbying group that lobbies on behalf of democratic, um, you know, ideology. It means what can you do in your personal life every day to become an ally to oppress people? So what's going on in Pittsburgh do you see any um, any trends of um, progressive organi- uh, organizations um, trying to improve? Um, I think we have discourse, or you know, I, I don't. I'm not even gonna say race relations, but just discourse and inequality. I see a lot of black business owners really trying, specifically black female business owners, really trying to change the face of economics in Pittsburgh. And I think that's one of the things that gives me hope. And I'm also seeing more organizations being led by black women. 
And I think that's because, I mean, I think, I think that black women are getting to the point where we understand that we're, this just isn't a safe world for our children. Like we can't, which I think is very reflective of the fact that many single black women are not having children at all because they recognize not only is this an economic, um, you know, <laughs> can actually end up in an economic clusterfuck for lack of a better word, but it can, I could lose my child, like very real. I could lose my child. <laughs> and where does that put me? Or um, even my life while yeah. giving child. You, I can lose my, ch- absolutely lose my life while giving birth. So I think that the most, what I'm seeing that I really appreciate is I'm seeing black women really beginning to put ourselves in those positions of authority by any means necessary. Um, so whether that is we have right now the urban redevelopment authority in our city just um, elected its first black female director which was beautiful to see because that organization has never been led by a black woman. Um, And she's doing some phenomenal things around assisting black business owners, homeowners, and things like that. Um, We have Representative Summer Lee, who is making great strides in the Braddock region, which is right outside of Pittsburgh, um, in terms of poverty and, uh, you know, economic revitalization of her region. So I think it's just... We need black women in positions of power and we need to do that by any means necessary. So whether that means creating your own organization, whether that means becoming a part of an organization where you can really, really create change and plan the long game for real. Because I feel like a lot of black folks don't want to play the long game. We want it now. We want it quick. That's just not reality. We live in a nation that is literally built on the back of oppression. So that means that there are not only when we're talking about racism, we have to understand the racism in the system. And so when something is a system, the very essence, the very things that are created out of that system are going to be in alignment with it. So, you know, in addition to that, we really need to begin to talk about getting black women in alignment with our best interest, because so many of us are operating out of alignment with our best interests. And that's in terms of economics, work, social, everything, the way we interact with men, male, female alliances. I mean, so much of what we do is out of alignment. So I think it gives me great, it gives me a lot of hope and faith to see black women aligning themselves economically in terms of in the boardroom and in nonprofits with the interests of other black women. Within a Black Mamas group, are there actions or tasks or events, meetings that you are working on or leading that are helping to realign the interest? So Brown Mamas really just prides itself on being a safe space. Um, My goal with Brown Mamas was not to start a business. I really just wanted to have it as a place where I could meet other Black women. Um, And now it is just that for every Black woman in the city. It is a platform that other Black women can use to elevate themselves. So whether it is being able to come in the group and find a resource that you didn't have before, connect with other Black women who are doing things in the city, um, vent, you get a lot of venting. Um, about whatever is going on in your motherhood journey. And then I really like to focus on amplifying the voices of Black women, which is what I do through the Brown Mama Monologues. Um, It's an annual showcase. It's here in Pittsburgh 
We are moving to the DC region as well as to Philadelphia also in 2021. And what we do is we take 10 black women every year and we put them through writing and speaking coaching. And then we put them on stage to tell their original and unique stories about black motherhood in America with the goal of making the American motherhood narrative um, more inclusive of a black mothering story. Because I think that's a big part of, like I was talking about before, black women being out of alignment with our very own interest. Um, I think that because our version of life, our version of motherhood, our version of everything is so different from the white version, it oftentimes takes us to a space and a place where we're constantly trace running on the chat treadmill, not realizing that self-acceptance is really the starting place for everything else great in your life, for you really to be the person that you're supposed to be. And so the Brown Mama Monologues really focuses on amplifying those women and giving them the opportunity to be more confident in themselves. Um, I've had women, a lot of the women, so so far we've had 30 women, women to participate in the show. We'll have had 50 by the time um, 2021 is over, but the women love the opportunity to just get on stage and be their authentic self and tell that story that they've been hiding or keeping or, you know, putting under a lamp for so long. And I've had many of them come back to me and say, this was a catalyst for me starting a business. This was a catalyst for me getting the mental health um, services that I need. This was a catalyst for me to write my first book or just do something. My mission is always to align women with their original authentic selves and help them to accept themselves. Because I really believe that once black women get to a place of self-acceptance and unabashed, unapologetic self-acceptance, that is where real change begins. Because then you have the confidence to really, really act in alignment with who you are. And as much as white supremacy is a white folks problem, it's a problem with their cognitive dissonance, we have to remember that we have complied in many ways to the cognitive dissonance, to the white supremacy, to the policies and procedures that have um, essentially you know, ripped us to shreds and torn us apart and pulled us from our original culture. So we have to begin to strip down all those layers of how did we become these people that are a party to our own demise? And so that is what the Brown Mama space is all about. It's about getting another woman's perspective. It's about being, feeling like you are supported and loved on, even as you are right now. So I can't say that we're necessary. We take policy steps because in my community, I'm more so known as a connector. So I'm that person you can come to and be like, oh, I need such and such and such. And I'm going to I'm going to do my little mojo and hook you up with whatever I need or whatever resources that I have. So from that, you, you also created the Mama Mindset book, right? So what was your rationale behind its development? So the Brown Mama Mindset is about developing a mindset of extreme accountability. So they say to whom much is, what do they say? To whom much is given, much is required. I am of the faith that black people have been given a lot. We have a lot internally. There's no way we could have made it just living right now if we were not full 
of gold and diamonds and treasure. We are full of a lot. But the problem is, is that we don't have the mindset that unlocks the beauty of being black. The real, tangible, productive assets that are inside of us. I meet women all the time and I'm like, you don't even see yourself. Like you don't even see your analytical mind. You don't even see your ability to walk into a room and feel something so deeply for each person. Like you don't even see it. And so the whole thing about behind the brown mama mindset was to strip back, strip those layers and really chapter by chapter, go through the problems of the black woman (laughs) and be like, yo, is this a problem or is this an asset? Or are you treating it like a problem? Because you think like I was talking to a girlfriend today and she was like, sometimes I'm mean to men. I said, what you think you're supposed to be nice to men that ain't your husband? You ain't supposed to be nice. That's not your husband. You're supposed to keep him at a, because if there's no difference between me as the girlfriend and me as the wife, then what, <laughs> what? No, that's not being mean. That's called being an analytical person. You're a woman. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to analyze it. You're supposed to say, is this good for me? Is this bad for me? And when it's not, no, you got to back off. So I think the brown mama mindset is all about beginning to have a mindset of a woman and being okay with the fact that we are femininity personified, right? So it's okay that you want your house to look a certain type of way. It's okay that you need your male relationships to look and be a certain type of way. It's okay for you to be a woman. That's really what the brown mama mindset is okay is saying. You don't have to define your womanhood by white womanhood. You don't have to define it by what anybody else says or thinks except for internally. But it's all about developing the mama map, which is the workbook that goes along with the brown mama mindset which takes you through like activities that you can do after every chapter to kind of strip back those layers a little bit more and really get to the meat of you as a woman. Mm. Speaking of the, the white mother or white woman mindset, um, you had done Ted talk kind of, and I think it was a Ted talk. I could be wrong. We kind of regarding leaning in. Do you think as black mothers, are we leading in a little bit too much or what, are, what is your take on the lean in thought process as it, as it relates to being a black mom? I think black women need to lean into black people's shit and lean out of white people's shit <laughs> all the way out, back it all the way up because we've been taking care of their kids. We've been serving their meals We've been taking care of their elderly and they sick people for way too goddamn long. And you know what is causing us to be sick our goddamn selves. Our kids are sickly. Our kids are having behavioral problems. Our kids are having these whole host of issues while we taking care of Becky and Susie's kids. Like we can't keep doing that. We have to be willing to make the sacrifices for our community. And as men too. Like I, in that talk, one of the things that I wish I would have done more of is say that these very same things we need from women, we need them from men too. Like y'all can't be the CEO of Merle Lynch, okay? Because we need CEOs in our community. So when I say lean in, when I say lean back, really what I'm saying is lean back out of white people's stuff because we've given them enough. Like how much more can black women and men give to white America? We've given y'all enough. We've given y'all 400 years of free work. 
And now we didn't give y'all what? This is almost 200 years of low paid, low wage, maybe put me in jail, maybe smack me over the head with a bottle or shoot me in the back work. Now what? We got to really start thinking about, like I said before, how are we propping up these systems in our own lives? How are we complying with white supremacy and begin to really think and dig deeper on that? Because even myself, when I first started reading African culture, I actually started reading African culture, African history, and then I started reading white culture and white history. And the one thing I learned is that white people will let us do this forever because it's built into their very DNA. It's built into their very racial and um, landscape essence that they don't want to do the work. Did y'all see that video with the little boy? He said, I don't want to do the work. I said, that's white people. They don't want to do the work. They want us to do the work. <laughs> and they don't want to benefit from the work. So, yeah, it's like, um, also then, it's a lot of unlearning that we need to do. De-schooling. I don't know yeah. if y'all know Akiva S. Richards. De-schooling. De you schooling, also unschooling. Talk about your 20-day guide. So I have a 20-day guide to de-schooling um, on my website. It's only $8. It's $8 or $9. You can buy it. Um, and it's really about how I've adapted these processes of de-schooling with my children. But I actually said I'm going to write a de-schooling workbook for adults. Because you can't really de-school your, your kids if you ain't de-schooled yourself. Which means, I love, I'm always going to shout out Akila S. Richards because she was the foundation for this information for me. She does Fear of the Free Child podcast. And she talks so much about getting out of performance mode. Like, this is one thing that schooling teaches us. Or she calls it schoolishness. Schoolishness teaches us to always be performing. To always be in this mode of I got my hand up. I know I want to do it. And not because it feels good. It's one thing when you put your hand up and you say, I want to do that because that feels good to me. Like that makes me everything on the inside says, yes, that's one thing. It's another thing to do things, to um, take actions, to speak words because you think it's going to get you an outcome from someone else. So the de-schooling process is all about tapping into that. It's about tapping into that way in which you've complied and become complicit in your own oppression and the oppression of other people unknowingly. Because most black people, this is how we don't understand that genetics and well, behavior is genetic. So since slavery, if you did good, you got rewarded. If you didn't do good, you didn't get rewarded. If you did good, sometimes you didn't get rewarded because they was confusing the shit out of you because they needed you to stay confused in order to stay a slave. So we have to begin to understand that I always like to say everything in your life, if you are black, if you are black and you are intelligent, if you are black and you are um, interested in growth, one of the things you have to get is that everything in your life needs to be up for questioning. Everything from your mindset to your parenting to your religion to everything. Everything needs to be up for questioning because what you need to understand is you were not born. You were bred. Um, there's, oh, what's the name of the book? There is a book. I would, 
I wish I could remember the name of it, but I can't. Um, there is a book, but this is well-known knowledge. You can Google it. When the uh, Atlantic slave trade began, African slaves were African, the enslaved Africans, not slaves, enslaved Africans were taken all over the, over the world. We know that, right? But at some point, there was a law passed in America that they could no longer bring enslaved Africans to America. Everywhere else in the world, they continued to ship enslaved Africans. That's why everywhere else in the world that there are African people, there are African culture, there are, there's African religious beliefs and everything else. You go to Brazil, it's like stepping into Ghana. There's going to be Voodoo. There's going to be uh, Santeria. You're going you're gonna to see all of that. I know because I went to Brazil and I've seen it. Come to, Pit come to Pittsburgh, go to Cali. This is American blackness because we were not, there was, after a certain time, there was no enslaved Africans being brought here. So white people literally had the opportunity to breed us the way they wanted us because there was no influx of African culture in the United States. So the last few hundred years of slavery, it was just them taking in what they wanted and taking out what they didn't want to want. And when you have children and you raise up children, I mean, think about your own kids. My mom used to always say, if I if I gave y'all panther piss to drink every day, y'all would think it was good because I'm your mama and I told you it's good. So we have to begin to realize that we are not, we are not born. We, we have been bred to be who we are. And so we have to begin to question ourselves. And it hurts. That's the one thing I always tell moms. Like when I first started doing this deep digging, I probably had three or four years of emotional pain because it hurt so bad to let go of all of those things that I just thought this has to be right. But the more I dug, the more I researched, the more I read, I'm like, this ain't right. Who I am today is not white. I literally operate financially. Black, all black people can relate to this. You get some money, you ain't got no money the next day. Why is that? Why can't you save no money? Can't save nothing. You can't even save for a trip. Or you save for the trip, you spend all your money and come home broke. Why, why do other cultures not have that problem? Because we've been bred to be this way. Because they needed us to stay docile and unable basically to get away from ourselves. And that's why it was no problem for them to free us after a while because they knew we continued to be slaves. And we are. We are still slaves in America. We're not physically slaves, but mentally Mentally, we're still there. We're still in that place where we really cannot do for ourselves. We need systems, white systems, to uphold us. I mean, think about during COVID-19. There were some people, if they hadn't gotten unemployment or food stamps, they would have been out of here. <laughs> and so that I guess that, that also leads to the question, what are y'all doing, you know, action-wise to, to help, you know, people day to day? So Brown Mamas does a bunch of stuff in terms of day-to-day -day actions. Um, we just did a hundred mass giveaway where we gave away masks. So we try to respond to the needs of our community. Um, I have a few moms in the community that I pay to do administrative work for me in the Brown Mamas, uh, in the Brown Mamas group. But it just depends on what the needs are. Our goal is always to align ourselves with what the current needs of the communities are and then try to do things that assist with that. We have strategic partnerships within the community with organizations like Healthy Start and trying to get, Healthy Start does, um, 
they do resource things for like moms who are just giving birth. Um, Trying Together is an organization that assists with childcare. So we are galvanizing force, meaning we bring all the moms to the table and then we connect them through referrals with different organizations that will assist them in meeting their needs. Um, in terms of what I'm doing personally, my main work right now is the de-schooling process with moms. So right now I'm working on getting these co-ops built so that we can give moms options during COVID-19. So that, cause we have a lot of working moms. The vast majority of the moms in our group are working moms. Um, and they're gonna need assistance over the summer because all of our summer camps have been canceled. So right now we're working to try to by July get some homeschooling co-ops going so that moms can be able to drop their kids off for a few hours while they have to work. A lot of our moms, Pittsburgh is a medical city. A lot of our moms work for UPMC and they're working at home right now. But as you know, you can't, it's hard to work at home when you got four and five kids running around in the background. So that's our main goal right now is we're working on getting some co-ops together so that the moms will have somewhere to bring their kids to during the summer. As it relates to cultures and understanding history, um, what do you feel should be, as African-Americans, our next steps? Or maybe are there certain resources that you have found that have worked for you to research your history? I think we just have to... So it's, it's really difficult to research your own personal history. I always start women off with the book black men obsolete so people ask me i say that's the first book you should probably read um and go from there like go in black men obsolete and then go read the bibliography page it gives you a ton of books to go to next um but i also think and it's hard for me to say this because i'm a married woman right this looks completely different for single sisters. I was raised by a single mom and I completely understand that there are just different dynamics of a woman that are not activated until she get loved the right way. And this information, learning black history is not enough without a place to apply it at. So you have to have application. That's why you meet some people and they're like, oh, I know all this, but my life is still screwed up. Or I know all this, but I can't help you out at all. Um, I think you need to read, but more than anything, you really need to begin to pay attention to your intuition. I always say your intuition is your intuition. It's literally at every moment of the day telling you what pays off for you and what don't pay off for you, right? So you need to begin to get centered with that. So whether it's going to therapy, which I think every black woman, I think we're in the therapy movement right now, but I hope think every black woman needs to go to therapy and really begin to examine with a black therapist you can find somebody who's educated holistically as a black therapist, that's bomb. And really begin to peel back those layers of self-destruction, like admitting to yourself the places in your life you've been self-destructive at. Because we can be a great community, but first we have to be great individuals. So, which is the reason why even with Brown Mamas, I'm very slow to sign on to everybody's bandwagon. I would, very, I would very much so rather be inactive at all than be active in places that unbeknownst to me are perpetuating white supremacy. So I think that you have to be 
methodical in terms of addressing yourself. Like read some books, but more than you're doing anything, pay attention to your life. Like, and I know this is hard. It's hard to ask these things of black women because we have so much on our plates, especially our single moms, but definitely married moms too. Because most of the time when you meet black women who are married, they confront all they want to, but most black women who are married are having a lot of the same financial struggles that black single women are having, whether it's their husband is unemployed or underemployed. At least that's been my experience with other married women. But you really just need to, and I think it's even harder for married women to be honest because there's a certain level of comfort that once you're comfortable, it's like, I don't need to work on me. But I feel like you need to read, but you also need to begin to listen to yourself. Yoga and meditation are great resources. And don't try to do it the right way. Like, don't try to um, just sit down and be quiet. Sit down and be quiet and allow yourself to hear yourself think for a minute. So you can say to yourself, was that thought productive? And where did it lead to? Maybe I thought this thought on Tuesday and then on Thursday this happened. Did that thought lead me to here? And was it positive and was it productive or was it destructive and negative? So I tell women to start there, but the, the book Black Men Obsolete is a great place to begin your studies. Um, and then what other books can I recommend? Uh, what's her name? I won't recommend her yet. Black Men Obsolete is a great place to start. Um, and look in the bibliography. There's a ton of books in that bibliography where you can um, just learn that will lead you on a little bit more of an African history um, journey. Who are some of the, either maybe they might be moms that you may or may not know, or um, really just in general, Black um, people that are aligning themselves within either maybe the community that you're in and the black community or just nationwide that you feel that our listeners um, can maybe follow, take some good notes from, and maybe try to implement within their community. Okay. Let me think about this. This is going to be tough for me. Who, who am I listening to right now? I can't say her name. Okay. Um, that's a tough question for me because a lot of the people I listen to are really underground. Um, or even if you have somebody, if you, I'm gonna, the social media, somebody on IG or, you know, okay. has a platform, maybe, I don't know. So I was listening. There's a couple of places. Um, I'll just give subjects and then I'll say where you could, where you can find these people. I love Amos Wilson. So Amos Wilson is dead. He's a black man. He's dead, but he has tons of YouTube videos. And if you're really trying to really understand the economic education system here in, not in Pittsburgh, in the nation, Amos Wilson is a great place to start. Um, it's a great historical figure. Another person that I love is the Little Juju podcast. If you're a black woman who wants to explore your roots your spiritual roots and you're not start we're short sure where to start that's a good great place to start the little juju podcast um who else can i recommend i love zaza ali she's on youtube she does a lot of videos just around centering yourself self-accountability and really beginning to 
intellectualize the black female mind. Um, what else am I listening to right now? What book are you listening to right now? Right now I'm listening to the book, The Science of Breath. Um, which is really about controlling your breath and using reading techniques as a way of controlling your thoughts. So a lot of what I listen to is not mainstream. I'll be honest with you. Um, I probably surpassed the mainstream knowledge thing a decade ago. So I don't really. And then Akila Richards, she's always one of my go-to people. Um, she's very much so out there on Instagram and um, YouTube and whatnot. You can find her. And somebody I just recently found is Malika Diggs. She's the founder of the Eclectic Learning Network. And she focuses a lot on parents and self-care and um, helping parents to center themselves. You know, helping parents to center themselves in the midst of their children. So, and then also the Brahma Mindset has a whole list of books in the back of it. So those are good places to, to start. There's a few people I would like to recommend, but I also know that they're not. Oh, um, the book, The ISIS Papers, is also a good way to start because it's very, it's very much so written in layman terms. Um, but yeah, I would start in those places. So, with wh where do where are your next steps um, with Brown Mamas? I, I think you guys have a monologue coming up. I, I don't know if you had said the date. I'm trying to recall, but um, yeah, July, I think. We had to reschedule because of COVID-19. So we're actually holding off all shows until 2021. Okay. The main things I'm working for right now are getting the Black homeschooling co-ops running here in Pittsburgh um, and also beginning to help parents with de-schooling because of all the years that I've worked with Black moms, that's one thing that I'm really seeing very prevalent right now is that in many ways, Black women are working against ourselves. And we don't even know that we're working against ourselves because we've been taught to be docile. We've been taught we don't have a voice. We've been taught that we can, we're, not, we're not allowed to advocate for ourselves. And the de-schooling process is all about uncovering that. It's about uncovering your real true self and really beginning the process of not being afraid to live as your authentic self, um, you know, at the behest of other people. And I feel like there's just, we just have too many black women who don't value and honor themselves, myself included. It's something that I struggle with imposter syndrome really bad. So as I'm working through and doing my work, I really want to help other black mothers to begin to do their work because it is, um, what I will say is the last 10 years of my life have been productive and happy because I removed so many of the layers of I don't want I don't want to give it the glorification of calling it whiteness but of self-destruction because I feel like that's what a lot of black women are dealing with it's like I sent you guys the excerpt from chapter one I feel like after black women have children it's like this gunshot goes off and then we just start running with no thought for ourselves with no thought for does she even want to go all the way here? Like, does she even agree to that? We leave ourselves up at the starting line. We be at the finishing line, but our whole soul is behind us. And we got to start going back to get our souls and really begin to examine, is this really what I want? Like, is my life really what I want? Or am I just doing this because somebody else told me I should and I believe them? So 
you know, the Black Homeschooling Co-ops is definitely what I'm working on, but I'm also working on being able to begin helping Black mothers with the de-schooling process. Go ahead, Tosh. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just, I was just going to uh, ask uh, where can we find you and your book and just kind of plug yourself. So you can find me on brownmamas.com, B-R-O-W-N-M-A-M-A-S.com. Um, if you want to know more about the monologues, you can find me on brownmamamonologues.com. You can buy my books on Amazon. Um, just search for Muffy Mendoza or the Brown Mama Mindset. Um, and that's pretty much it. And I'm pretty much open. So you can find me on Facebook. If you want to reach me, that's the place to reach me. Or you can just email me at brownmommies at gmail.com. Well, we thank you so much for being a guest on our show today and dropping some gems and knowledge. Y'all was so quiet. I'm like, am I saying some bad stuff? (laughs) (laughs) No, you were answering a lot of things like questions that we had and we we, like, we thoroughly appreciate it. Uh, We we do. Um, Thank you so, so much. Well, we definitely want everyone to continue the conversation through our listener comments and feedback and ask questions on our Facebook group. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. You can also email us at mahoganymomology at gmail.com. Check out our website at www.mahoganymomology.com where you can find previous episodes and a little bit of merchandise. Until next time, this is Mel. And I'm Tosh. And we thank you for listening to Mahogany Mammology. Bye-bye.